0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man who's more colorful than a Lisa Frank
1: folder, Mike Vandibogart. <laughs> Thanks, Joe, and thank you once again uh, for everybody tuning into Locations Unknown. Don't have a lot of updates for you this time, but Hold on, would do, you, like do you think people understand that reference? I didn't even understand it, but I just laughed. Don't you
0: remember those folders in grade school where it was just like... Lions and like parrots, and it was just like all like hyper color craziness. Like back when we had Trapper Keepers oh, and yeah. stuff. Lisa Frank. Yes. It was all Lisa Frank school supplies. Like the coolest thing.
1: <laughs> do you want to redo your intro then? We'll just restart.
0: No, this is part of the, this is our dialogue. You're ruining it now.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, back to the script. Um, I don't have a lot of new updates for people this month, but we do have... Uh, two new Patreons uh, shout-outs. We have uh, Stephanie King and Ashley Griffiths. Just uh, can't thank you guys enough for your support on Patreon. It means uh, so much to me and Joe. It helps us uh, you know, continually make the show better, and we've got a lot of cool swag on the Patreon page that you can get depending on what tier you are. So head over to uh, patreon.com slash Also would like to give a shout-out to listener Michelle Schwenk for uh, recommending this case to us. I had heard about this uh, last year before. Uh, The case we're we're going through today, he was a really popular guy, a real up-and-coming academic. So uh, kind of a sad case, but uh, we're going to dive into that in a second. And Joe and I are hopeful in the next month or two we're able to announce our big secret that we've been (laughs) teasing for Months and months and months. We we can't do it just yet, but we're hopeful it's coming soon. <laughs> I feel like it's we're, it's
0: going to be like a letdown because we're building it up like it's a thing. And, and, and it's it's big for us, but like... For us, yes. So I, I'll leave it at that so I don't yeah. get in trouble. Uh, we also want to thank our returning sponsor who survived the pandemic, Verger CBD Products. Uh, they came out with a new Delta 8 line. Mike, are you familiar with Delta 8? I am not. Delta 8 is, I want to call it almost a loophole. Um, It's the recreational version of CBD that's not illegal. Delta 8 is the recreational version, similar to its cousin uh, in the legal stage of THC, but it it relaxes you when you're taking it, so they have the gummies and the other types of things that you can get online, Uh, and using our promo code, UNKNOWN20.
1: Um, I would also just like to make a a point to we are going to be posting um sponsorship opportunities on our website i have been uh, messaged a couple times now in the last uh, year about uh you know advertising on the podcast so we're gonna we're gonna release a form and some rates very reasonable rates so if you have a business out there or a podcast or you know anything that you want to advertise um you know our podcast could be a, a great way to get your message out there at a pretty reasonable cost so stay tuned for more details on that perfect all right
0: everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown
1: October 9th, 2020, Sam DuBall set out on an overnight solo hike in Mount Rainier National Park. As an experienced and prepared hiker, he planned to do a quick one-day hike of the Mother Mountain Loop, expecting to finish on October 10th. When he didn't return by October 12th, he was reported missing and a large search-and-rescue mission kicked off. Join us this week as we investigate the puzzling disappearance of Sam DuBall and the extensive search that followed.
0: Mother Mountain Loop Trail in Mount Rainier National Park is in Washington. Uh, This park was established on March 2nd, 1899, and is the fifth national park in the United States. This park sees roughly 1.5 million visitors per year, and that was the 2018 numbers. Uh, I bet they're down this year for obvious reasons. And, Mike, you've actually hiked Mount Rainier and,
1: more so, Uh, parts of the trail that this gentleman was on is that correct yeah that is correct yeah back in 2016 a group of us did a a couple day hike in Mount Rainier and from previous episodes if you remember we actually had to cut our hike off early due to uh, some extreme weather we were actually experiencing up on the mountain and we're we're pretty concerned about um, exposure and hypothermia but yeah, we were on a section of the trail that he allegedly was hiking, and I, we can get into more of that in a little bit, but it's an amazing park. I recommend it to everybody that gets out to Washington to at least you know visit it for a day and do some day hikes if you can.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to get out there. Um, did you know that Mount Rainier wasn't the original name for the mountain? I did not. So several Native American tribes called the mountain variations of Tacoma or Tahoma, which means the source of nourishment from the many streams coming from the slopes, which that's incredible that you get all that out of like one word, but yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's what it, it was Tacoma or Tahoma. And then Captain George Vancouver sailed into the Puget sound in 1792 and named the mountain after his friend, Peter Rainier, who
1: served as a Royal Navy officer in the revolutionary war. So that's where it got its name. You know, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if in the next 20 or 30 years the mountain gets renamed. I'm sure Um, it will. They're renaming everything. I know that's um, controversial probably for a lot of locals and people that live around there, but it's not unheard of. I believe there's been mountains in Alaska that have been renamed to their original Native American names. So I wouldn't be shocked. Obama
0: Obama had that renamed. Yeah, so
1: I wouldn't be shocked, you know, years from now that Mount Rainier actually – is renamed to maybe Mount Tacoma or Mount Tahoma but yeah. just my two cents. Honestly it would make sense. I mean, it yeah. was just
0: otherwise it was just some captain who sailed in the area is like uh that mountain's now this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like it already had a name but whatever. Right. Um did you know that Mount Rainier is the most glaciated peak in the contiguous United States with over 25 named glaciers?
1: I uh, did not know that, but once you visit Mount Rainier, you'll you'll see that. You can see why. It's no- yeah, it's no surprise.
0: <laughs> so there are, there's just a couple other uh, facts about Mount Rainier. There are six Native American tribes that share a deep history with Mount Rainier. And I am going to do what me and Mike do best and butcher names. Uh, <laughs> but the Nisqually, the Piolup, the Sequaxin <laughs> Island, the Muckleshoot, Yakama, and Cowlitz all maintain relations with the park. So they're all, those tribes are still working with the park. And archaeological evidence traces indigenous use of the region back to 9,000 years. So they have been settled there for quite some time. And climbing Mount Rainier is popular, but it's very, very strenuous. And as you said, Mike, and as we see lots of stories coming out of the weather can be a very, very determining factor of your success. So mm-hmm. each year, thousands of people attempt to reach the top of Mount Rainier, which rises a little less than three miles high and is less than half succeed. So you get about 50% success rate because climbers are faced with challenges of the vertical elevation gain of over 9,000 feet in just a short eight miles. And the first person to actually do it was an American, or the first American to do it that we know of, Jim Whitaker, successfully climbed Mount Everest, trained domestically for the summit in the rugged conditions of Mount Rainier. So basically, he was the first American to climb Everest. He chose Rainier to train to do that. That's how...
1: How rugged and <laughs> strenuous it can be! It's a tough climb. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know it personally. I've never done it.
0: <laughs> I would love to, but yeah, from what I understand, it's a technical. It's not a hike, and the hikes yep. can be hard. When I say hike up a mountain, it's difficult. Uh, but this one's technical, meaning you have to have, you know, your use of ropes and knots, and you have to be proficient at them. You can't be a beginner. So the park also offers over 260 miles of maintained trails for the enjoyment with some ranging from a few miles to over 20 miles. The 93-mile-long Wonderland Trail was used over 100 years ago by patrol officers and firefighters and was the first trail in the park that fully encircled Mount Rainier. Now, Mount Rainier is what's called a stratovolcano with the potential to erupt again, so it is not dormant. So Mount Rainier's steep cone-like shape was formed by the lava by layers of lava flows and ash clouds over the long period of time. The most recent eruption was a small summit explosion sometime between eighteen twenty and eighteen fifty, and scientists fear the next eruption could be larger than the one in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, that 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 would scare me of hiking yeah. on there just after Mount St. Helens with those um, the people that lost their life that were camping. Yeah, like, if you are in the blast zone, there is literally nothing you can do.
1: Yeah, if you are up on the mountain in one of the campsites and it it blows, yeah. I, I feel bad. I
0: feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a place you want to be. No. Um, weather patterns at Mount Rainier are strongly influenced by Pacific Ocean elevation and its latitude. So the climate is generally cool and rainy with summer highs in the 60s and 70s, while July and August are the sunniest months of the year. Rain is possible any day and very likely in spring, fall, and winter. Wet, cold weather can occur any time of the year although late July and August are generally the driest and warmest times of the year. Summer can also be wet and cool. So those are probably the best times to climb when mm-hmm. you're not going to get dumped on. Uh, snow does remain at the 5,000 to 8,000 feet elevation well into mid-July. So for the elevation, it goes up to 14,410 feet. And as we said before, there's numerous glaciers, active steam vents, and periodic earth tremors, you know, to scare you while you're up there. <laughs> And just an, an idea of some of the animal dangers. There's cougars, black bears, mule deer, elk, mountain goats, and in total, they say there's 63 species of mammals, 16 species of amphibians, and five species of reptiles. So it's very big, very diverse ecosystem mm-hmm. for a mountain. So, yep. Um, the last thing I'll talk about is just part of what could be something that would cause problems. And the biggest thing is exposure. If you could expect. blizzards can kick up really fast in the winter months making hiking or climbing pretty much impossible so it's usually better to camp and wait for clearing weather than to continue and risk becoming lost so you have the risk of hypothermia frostbite and other things related to you know extreme cold weather hiking and camping
1: yeah and I would add to that uh in the springtime that you have a lot of there's a lot of rivers in Mount Rainier National Park and with all those glaciers and snowmelt you're going to have a lot of swollen rivers and you know being swept away by one of those rivers is a real danger and the national park service advises you not to cross a moving body of water if it goes above your knees Uh, I would say even at knee level it can get difficult uh, crossing rivers
0: yeah depending on the speed and we've talked about this several times in the podcast but
1: and how far you have to walk like if it's a narrow river
0: yeah moving water people I think who don't hike don't underestimate the power of water and even if it's not like a raging rapid but like there there's tragic stories of people who get just kind of swept off their feet but they have their big backpack on and they will get caught in a strainer point and they'll drown because they're tangled up. So it's that's like the big th- even if it's a slow stream, anytime I cross water, backpack off and there's a rope if I can get
1: one. Yeah. And you know in addition to uh the issues with rivers, there are year round snowfields on Mount Rainier and these are made up of compacted ice and snow and there's rock outcrops and this happens around you know the seven eight thousand feet area and crossing these during bad weather can be deadly so we'll cover some some of the cases that this has happened on but um, you can get really turned around lost and up at that elevation with the exposure risk it's you know it's it wouldn't look good for you so um, if you ever hiking in Mount Rainier, uh, you know cross those snowfields in good weather.
0: Yeah, that's uh, scary. Well, actually, what I'm going to talk about now are
1: just this will just hammer home how how dangerous and busy it can be. I was so, shocked by this, Joe, when I was doing the research that uh, it was a pretty bad year for Mount Rainier. Yeah, they,
0: <laughs> it was. They said they tallied a record number of searches so far this year, and if you have to think about it, this is the year of the pandemic, so the, it shouldn't have been as busy. But they had to have to do over 60 searches. Um, and this is Park Rangers told a, a local news station. Uh, some of the stories are Vinci- Vincent DJ, 25, an Indonesian student living in Seattle, was reported missing on June 19th after he failed to return home from a hiking trip to the park. A search has failed to turn up any sign, of DJ official said. So that's another guy that we might end up doing an episode on. On the 29th of June, the body of Matthew Bunker, 28, was discovered in the park after he was reported missing by his climber partner on the 19th. Officials said... The climbing partner told them he became separated from Bunker as they descended the snow-covered 10,400-foot Thumb Rock on the north flank of Mount Rainier. So they were together and just got separated, and he unfortunately lost his life. On August 4th, rescuers found the body of 27-year-old Tala Sabag, who had been reported missing on June 22nd. Sabag's body was found off a trail in the Parks Paradise area near the south slope of Mount Rainier. So that's, again, someone who probably just succumbed to the elements out there and on a normal hike. Uh, In the summer. Yeah. September 2020, 27-year-old man Alex Fitzgerald, who was hiking down Mount Rainier from Camp Muir, became disoriented and died in whiteout conditions on the mountain, while his companion managed to survive with the help of other hikers. So that's a big one, um, and we'll talk about it in an upcoming uh, Patreon episode about personal experiences when it gets snowing on a big mountain, it can be a little scary when you can't see anything. Yeah, And I've been through that one time, and I have a unique story to tell. So if you want to hear it, sign up for Patreon. <laughs> 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 on um, November 3rd, 2020, the bodies of two men were found, both ages 29 and 34, with what appeared to be self-inflicted gunshot wounds. So that seems obvious that it wasn't necessarily a park accident. No. And then the last one on those, November 7th, Michael Antipsky became lost amid freezing whiteout conditions in Mount Rainier National Park. Went missing it, went missing the evening of 11/7 and was found late Sunday 11/8. And we we actually did talk about that in a recent episode.
1: Uh yeah, Patreon episode. A Patreon so. episode. So if you want to hear that one, sign yeah. up for Patreon. <laughs> An amazing story of it is uh, a really cool story. Su- survival and he actually died for 45 minutes and was revived. So uh, head over to our patreon page for as little as a dollar a month to listen taxes <laughs> <laughs> and fees may apply no yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um,
0: so we'll get we'll, we'll get into this now so our the person we're talking about today Sam B Dubal uh, went missing on October 9th in 2020 so it was uh, only a few months ago mm-hmm. he was 33 at the time of disappearance and he was five nine about 155 pounds so a fit average size male, black hair, short and black beard. Uh, the clothing he was last seen in uh, was he was equipped for overnight stay. He had a tent, sleeping bag, snow gear, rain gear, cell phone, a charger, and possibly wearing a blue jacket. So you said this in the beginning, and based on his gear, this guy is a regular. He knows what he's doing. I would, I would liken him probably to us, probably better than us, simply because he gets out more. If I got yeah. out more, I'd be,
1: I'd be better at it as well. No, he definitely, based on everything I read, was a very experienced hiker, um, based on a lot of the hiking he did and the gear that he went out in. I mean, he went out in the exact kind of gear I would if I was doing an October hike on Mount Rainier. Yeah, arguably um, too much, but that's what I go for. Yeah, I mean, expect snow and rain and, you know, a tent, sleeping bag. The only the only question mark I would have is, I don't know that I would hike Mount Rainier in October. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, maybe maybe he was doing it because it was a challenge. So that's yeah, that's... and he lived in out that he lived in Seattle, so it's pretty close for him. Sure. You know. So just okay. Take that as what it is. <laughs> so for his occupation, he was a Stanford graduate who
0: attended medical school at Harvard and then received his PhD in medical anthropology from UC Berkeley in 2018. So he was not a dumb individual at all; very smart no. person, a doctor. And during his time. In the Joint Medical Anthropology Program, DuBall went on to do fieldwork in Uganda concerning the Lord's Resistance Army, a militant Ugandan group infamous for war crimes. This work would later lead him to writing a book in 2018 that critiques the concept of humanity, Against Humanity, Lessons from the Lord's Resistance Army, that's the title of the book. He had started to teach at the University of Washington's Anthropology Department in June of 2020 and was an assistant professor. So his experience in the wilderness, we said he was a very experienced hiker in difficult conditions. He was also an avid hiker who made trips around the U.S. as well as the Himalayas. So he knows mountain hiking amongst hiking in general, which I think is, again, a very
1: important yep. tidbit for someone who's in the mountain in that, in that type of weather. And the fact that he lived in Seattle, I yeah, he, you know, he's experienced with this location too. Yeah,
0: he knows what's up. Yep. So just some friends and family statements about him this is from his, uh, the professor he worked with the university. He said he was a kind of scholar and public intellectual. We really need in the world right now. We felt extremely lucky that he had decided to come work with us as part of the facility. So well-liked individual, very experienced, very smart, um, has been places. He went to Uganda to write about war crimes from some Ugandan militant groups. Like this guy's traveled and has probably been in some pretty serious conditions and, made it out. so And he
1: was only 33.
0: Yeah, so he's young, <coughs> vibrant. Um, yeah. and he, It's a shame, yeah. It's a very big shame. So with that, I think let's jump into the timeline and start
1: figuring out uh, what, what happened. So, uh, Joe, with this case, it's a little different from other cases where we have a lot of information leading up to the disappearance. We don't have a ton of information about what he did right before he disappeared, but we have... We have a ton of great information on the search and rescue operation after, happened after he went missing, which was reported by the National Park Service, which I'm a little little shocked because we've done a lot of these cases, and I, I don't really see too many cases where they detail out the search as well as they did here. So that may just be, a like we've mentioned in a lot of previous cases, each national park is kind of like its own little country. And they do things differently. They report things differently. So maybe Mount Rainier just does a really great job of providing transparency in these cases. Uh, but either way, it, it's really interesting to see the details of what they did for this search. So start things off, He uh, Sam set off on a solo hike on October 9th, 2020. Like we said, he was uh, planning to hike the area of the Mother Mountain Loop out of uh, Mowich Lake. This was actually where other hikers in the park last saw him on the 9th. So we have confirmation from other hikers that he was actually in the park, which is important because there are a lot of other cases where it's kind of just we think he was in the park. Sure. And you you never have a confirmation from somebody that they saw him in the park or entering the park. But we know Sam was in the park on the 9th. Well, I think
0: our job is to be skeptical and kind of question any potential narrative. So it's the idea of, did they, I know we had one episode. Was it, was it Rainier
1: also? Or we even speculated maybe they didn't even go on the trip. No, I don't think it was Rainier, but we've had several cases where we, we don't have that confirmation. So we're not 100% sure they were in the park. It's always a possibility. So we know he was at the trailhead. Uh, Well, they saw him near Lake Mowich. So they know he was, he was deep in the park. Okay. um, On the 9th. And it was going to be a short hike. He planned to come out of the park on the 10th. So, um, Oh, so he's going
0: to hike in just a little bit, camp overnight, and come back out?
1: Yeah, that was the plan. I, I think he, he may have was planning to just do the whole loop. I think you can do it in a day. And this is another thing that shows me that he was an experienced hiker, too, because he he told people's itinerary. He said, I'm going in the ninth. This is what I'm doing. I'm coming out the 10th. Yeah. Um, yep, very smart. Yeah, less experienced people sometimes will go hiking, uh, and they won't tell anybody where they're going, what they're doing, when they plan to be out, and that that makes it really hard for searchers to pick an area to search. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, he was expected to come back out of the park on the 10th. By the 12th, when f- his family hadn't heard from him, they reported him missing. And this, this part really is tough because um, we always say the first the first day of a missing person's case, especially in uh, elevation, is really important. And the fact that, you know, he was, he probably went missing sometime, you know, late on the 9th or on the 10th. So there's, you know, two whole days that no one was out there searching for him. No one was looking. And those those two days are critical to finding a person alive. Uh, So, that really kind of sets the search back from the start but you know there's nothing you can do about that um, we've all been on hikes where we we say we're coming out at a certain time and it, we always come out later so that happens <laughs> uh, so that's not uncommon but so the afternoon of the 12th the National Park Service quick response team uh, began searching and continued searching through the night with the help of the U.S. Air Force helicopter from the 36th Rescue Squadron out of uh, Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane. And they were utilizing uh, FLIR, which we, we talk about a lot. That's pretty commonly used these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I go into more of the, the actual search timeline, we've got some details about the, the search area. So the primary search area, and this, this information all primarily comes from the National Park Service. So the primary search area was defined by a seventeen mile Mother Mountain Loop Trail with the teams branching off to explore spur trails leading higher on Mount Rainier and river drainages leading off of it. So, All um, right, so they, they did his itinerary plus if he did any
0: sightseeing offshoots yeah, or anything like that. And they're okay. even,
1: you know, even checking river drainages because there were a lot of rivers that he would have crossed and you know he could have been swept away. So that makes sense to check those drainage areas. So the the area where they were searching the terrain includes rugged remote wilderness with dense forests at elevations from two thousand to five thousand feet with a lot of exposed subalpine meadows uh blanketed with fresh autumn snowfall. So it there's already snow on the ground. Uh but you know, the elevation was not too high. You know, five thousand feet, you're still in the tree line. I believe the tree line here is between sixty five hundred and seven thousand feet. So um to note, there were several recent winter storms that had blanketed uh, much of the area in snow, and temperatures had been hovering between the 20s and 30s, and uh, freezing temperatures were going as low as 1,500 feet in elevation. So it's safe to assume that he was probably in sub-freezing temperatures his entire hike. Mm-hmm. And a storm on October 10th, the day after Dubal began his hike washed out the rustic river crossing uh, he would have used across the Carbon River. So, you know, when we get into our theories, I think that maybe is that one possible theory, he tried crossing the river when he shouldn't have. We'll get into that. Um, According to MPS, rangers uh, were coordinating the search with the Washington State Emergency Operations Center and other state and local resources who are providing highly skilled rescuers trained to search in hazardous conditions and poor weather. So they had a really good team out there looking for him. And you'll see from this timeline, they spared no expense. And, I mean, they went at this thing full full bore. And I don't know if it has to do with because he, you know, he was an up-and-coming, you know, academic in the university system out there and had a really promising career that, you know, maybe played a part in, the search but the searchers would never say they they pick favorites in their search so
0: well i think there's i don't think they would ever pick favorites but i think when you have if you know the person you're looking for has experience and you look at them as a peer yeah i feel like you you would Adjust your search a certain way. So they like, they, he's the type of person that had an itinerary, knew the area. So it's less of a, they could be anywhere, more of, all right, we're very confident he's going to be in these regions because of the type of person he is.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the searchers probably knowing his history of, you know, hiking, they probably were pretty confident in those early days that they were going to find him. Sure. Uh, so uh, you'll see a theme throughout the search and rescue operation is poor weather. So we're now, It's now October 13th and poor weather kept air crews grounded, but 19 park rangers and 16 mountain or six mountain rescue volunteers continued uh, the search on foot. They did find a distinctive water bottle believed to belong to Sam. It was found along one of the trails in the afternoon, but it didn't lead to any further discoveries. So from what I researched, that water bottle really was the only thing they found of Sam within the park. So uh, they go on to say that, in addition, a team from the Seattle Mountain Rescue used an aerial drone to explore hard-to-reach sections of the old trail along the Carbon River. So this is a really cool advancement in search and rescue in the last couple of years is the use of drones. Mm-hmm. I think uh, going forward, I think this is really going to aid in the help of finding people alive and at least at a minimum recovering, you know, remains so families can get closure. Uh, we we really haven't seen the use of drones in our cases up until just very recently, I believe, Joe.
0: Yeah, that is new. Remember when we worked together at, at Spalding? we talked about wanting to start a company with drones yeah. for
1: this express purpose. We probably <laughs> should have done that. Probably another missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so moving on to the next day, it is now October 14th, 2020. The weather had cleared up by that afternoon, and they were able to get a helicopter in the air uh, with 12 NPS Rangers, 15 Mountain Rescue volunteers, and now they have three search dogs provided by the Washington Mountain Rescue on the ground. So they they didn't, weren't able to get you know, the dogs out there until several days after he went missing, which... Uh, that's, that's unfortunate. You know, every day that goes by, you know, scent is going to dissipate. And especially if you've got a lot of snow and weather in the area, it's going to make it harder for those dogs to find a scent, but sure. And you have the whole issue of, I wonder
0: how much comes into play of, uh, evidence or things being moved by the snow melt. When we talked yeah. to George land, I know he said that it happens in flash flooding in the desert, but I wonder if that's the case too. If you have a lot of rushing water going down a mountain, if, Maybe he was on a trail and I don't want to speak grim, but I'm saying maybe his body was on a trail and if snow melt or something pushed it or covered it somewhere that was Mm -hmm. that would be not a
1: well-searched area and it's covered in snow now. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a a highly, you know, highly possible when with this much weather in the area. So moving on to the next day now, it's October 15th. The MPS reports a Bell 407 helicopter was used to fly searchers into the field to maximize search time during uh, a window of good weather and then continue to explore from the air. So they're they're like frantically rushing to search the area because the weather has been so bad that they're actually which we don't see this a lot. They're actually flying searchers in by helicopter to certain parts of the area, kind of like airlifting them in so that that's. That's pretty amazing to see. Uh, They go on to uh, state that 18 NPS rangers were joined by 14 mountain rescue volunteers, including a dog team, two drone teams, and a 4x4 team searching private forest lands outside of the park boundary. A 10-person team of Pierce County Explorers search and rescue volunteers assisted well. So the team is growing. The assets they have available to them are growing. They have helicopters, dogs, drones, 4x4s. And now they're even searching private land outside of the park. You know, maybe he got lost and started wandering. Um, I don't think that's too likely with the weather conditions at the time, but, you know, Mm -hmm. it's good to see them searching farther out. So uh, October 16th now, the MPS stated, and this is a direct quote from them, today's weather has deteriorated with lowering clouds and winds up to 50 miles per hour that prevented air operations teams also experienced low visibility and driving rain. So again, weather is hampering the search, but they were able to get 10 NPS Rangers out there along with nine more mountain rescue volunteers and two teams from the Washington German Shepherd Search Dogs. So they keep adding to the team and to kind of the the ground force out there. Uh, They go on to say that, Members of the Washington State Search and Rescue Planning Unit have provided assistance throughout the week as well. MPS trail crews, meanwhile, worked throughout the day to restore a trail bridge over the Lower Carbon River, which washed out in heavy rain uh, early in the week in order to allow searchers easier access to the search zones. And MPS official uh, went on to say, and this is a direct quote, Searchers intend to take full advantage, uh, tomorrow of a final day of good weather before another storm <laughs> forecast for Sunday with large numbers of people on the ground and hopefully in the air as well. So, you know, we are what it's October 16th. He was reported missing on the 12th, you know, we're a full week out now from the date he was missing and it's a massive operation going on. They've got a lot of people in the ground, you know, a lot of the assets in the air, uh, including drones and, The weather throughout this whole case has been hampering the search. I just wonder if the weather had been better, if they would have found him or found his remains. (laughs) Um, But you will never know. So uh, moving on to October 23rd now of 2020, the uh, search was suspended after an 11-day operation inside Mount Rainier. Uh, The National Park Service uh, released a statement, said significant weather, a winter weather made it necessary to suspend ground searches for the time being, but it would continue to pursue any leads that come. And they actually, while it was suspended, they were able to uh, reinitiate the search on October 25th. And we have another MPS statement that reads, with an improved weather window, search teams in Mount Rainier National Park resumed ground baits ground-based search operations early Sunday for missing hiker uh, Dr. Sam Duval. So October 25th, Joe, they're still, they're still out there searching. Obviously, at this time, I imagine the search turned from finding him alive to a recovery
0: Yeah, I would operation. agree because based on the gear he brought out, I mean, I would say there's a possibility he could still be alive just due to the fact that he's got water but with the cold conditions, I mean it'd be yeah, and it would it, be a close one.
1: Yeah, and especially if his his clothing got wet, the, one of the things when we when we called off our hike on Mount Rainier was because every we had we had all the rain gear. We didn't have snow gear with us cuz we were hiking earlier in the year, but um it was like it was sideways rain on the mountain and everything got soaked. I had one set of one you know set of clothing left in a dry sack, and I didn't want to bring it. I didn't want to bring it out because as soon as I took anything out of there, it was soaked. My tent was soaked. My sleeping bag was soaked. Everything was soaked except for that stuff in the dry bag. So yeah, and
0: you want to you want to have dry things if you're wet and cold.
1: Yeah, we couldn't even get a fire going. So, you know, in those kinds of conditions, I don't see how you could survive more than a day or two. Um, you know, up there. So. But uh, moving on to the next day. So now it is October 26th, 2020. This is about two weeks after the search uh, started. National Park Service actually declares Sam DuBall dead. Now, they have, they didn't recover his uh, body. They didn't, they don't have any evidence of really what happened to him. The reason why they declare, and usually people are declared dead after a longer time has elapsed, but Um, usually the searchers and the officials in the park will kind of look at the situation and like, there's no possible way he could have survived for two weeks out here with the storms. And, um, you know, this potentially was done by officials in the state level because he was a state employee and this would allow his family to collect life insurance and pension money. So, um, there's no point in dragging that off dragging that out if officials don't think there's any chance of finding him. So it's kind of a, a, a way to help the family out in a real troubling, you know, trying time. I do have in uh, to, to back this declaration up. I do have a statement from the university of Washington, which uh, is a direct quote after days of determined and robust effort. No sign of Sam has been found by the search and rescue teams. He is beyond reasonable expectation of survival uh, in the environment of the slopes of Mount Rainier in October. Although there will be a final aerial search and another check of local medical facilities, the Dubals believe that Sam has merged with Mother Mountain. In all likelihood, he is in the arms of the goddess. So, um, you know, everyone's kind of coming to terms, you know, two weeks after he went missing, that, you know, he's probably, you know, gone. I, my hope is maybe... In the spring, when things start thawing out, that officials will eventually find his remains. Um, yeah, you think so? I, you know, who knows? I think a lot of these cases, uh, the the remains are never found, or they're found years and years later. I, the only thing I I think that might help in finding his remains is that if he was buried in snow, that that will somewhat preserve um preserve him to make it easier sure. for you know someone to find him but he may never be found and I found uh, I found a local's take on this case and I will preface this it, it's from Reddit <laughs> I, as as Joe knows and everyone knows I I don't usually like pulling stuff from Reddit, but I've been doing it more frequently.
0: (laughs) I think as long as you tell people where it's from. Yeah. And we make the disclaimer, Hey, this is from Reddit, a place where people can post
1: things. Yeah. So we didn't call somebody from Mount Rainier and talk to him, but so this alleged resident of the area said he was hiking alone, doing an overnight trip. They found his water bottle along the trail. And based on the location, he made it about three fourths through his planned trip. That last one fourth doesn't have any major river crossings, so it's possible he was above timberline and got lost in a blizzard. He sounded prepared with all the necessary overnight gear, so it seemed like something major happened, like a fall. So that is an interesting take on kind of the location where they think he might have gone missing. Uh, I've been in those areas of Mount Rainier where you're above the timberline and there's absolutely no shelter. So if you get stuck in a blizzard up there, it's tough. <laughs> and just some other, before we wrap this up and move into the theories, just a couple other uh, details and notes from the search and rescue. The family actually started a change.org uh, petition to to try to force officials to keep the search going. They uh, were quoted as saying, there's a very high chance that Sam is alive. He is still in the window of survivability, even with hunger and hypothermia, which, many medical experts estimate between two and three weeks with the type of gear he was carrying. So, you know, the, the family's really hopeful. I based on our other cases, especially the one with Michael Napinski, I don't know how someone could last two or three weeks with hypothermia and frostbite. I, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. I don't see how, how that's possible, but you know, that's their opinion and they, they want to find him alive they uh, they go on to say in this uh, GoFundMe or no this Change.org petition they are quoted uh, with a high level of uh, fitness and experience and gear including a tent sleeping bag raincoat and more. There is a reasonable chance that he is still currently surviving beyond the missing day twelve. Uh, finally, there have been gaps in the search. The search and rescue teams were prevented from areas uh, and it had to scale back because of severe weather and. We're unable to go back to those areas with better and even clearer weather on the horizon. Mount Rainier is offering a prime opportunity to continue the search, and we hope to take advantage of this one last effort. And they finally go on to say that a hiker was just found in Mount Zion at day 19. We are only at search day 11. There's hope. Sam is fit. He has gear. We are just at search day 11. I, you know, that's all positive and great to say, but I think. Zion and Mount Rainier are completely two different parks. I could see someone surviving 19 days in Zion. Um, yeah. Well, they said Mount is, that, is Mount Zion in Zion National Park? Um. No. You know that that's interesting. I apologize to the listeners. Mount Zion. I'm assuming they mean Zion National Park. We'll we'll research that further and correct it in the uh, show notes if we have to, but. Uh, assuming they mean Zion National Park, you know, you're not dealing yeah. with the exposure risk in Zion. I, we, we got stuck in Zion in some really bad weather up on the North Rim, but the next day it was, it was sunny and warm out again. Um,
0: yeah. After a quick search, I'm not even finding a Mount Zion outside of Mount Zion, the hill in Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not finding I it's coming up at Zion National Park. So I think you're right. Yeah. I just wanted to I wanted to clarify for myself. Oh wait, hold on, hold on. Mount Zion Trail in Washington.
1: Okay. It might be that. So yeah, we, we're not sure what Zion they're talking about, but I think in their second statement they they talk about all of the severe weather up on the mountain. I think that contradicts the The point of that he could maybe still be alive. I, I just think based on the other cases we've seen from the Mount Rainier area and other alpine areas that it would be a, it inc- it would be the one of the most incredible survival stories in human history. I think, uh, for someone to be able to survive those conditions, could it be possible? Yeah, it would
0: be it would be pretty intense. I, and yeah, uh, I think it's possible, but yeah, uh, unlikely.
1: So, Joe, I sense we're already kind of talking theories, so. Why don't you now that you've heard kind of the whole story in the search, what do you think happened? Um I don't think it was animal related, so we'll get that out of the way. Yep. Um
0: I think there's two theories. I think there's the less likely scenario where he is running from something, not necessarily a negative way, maybe like, you know, this guy's a world traveler, he's been over in Africa. Um, maybe he decided to just you know, I'm going to go with the, this is like kind of like the extreme end first. So you have a guy who's gone to these prestigious universities. He's a doctor. He's an associate professor. He's traveled. He does all these, he's wrote a book, all these things. Um, there are stories of people like that just deciding, you know what, like life is stressful. I'm going to disappear. I'm going to disappear for a little bit. Just change who I am. Kind of like you hear about like the really rich guys who like go and be homeless. Mm-hmm. Like they'll train hop across the country and just... Beg for money and food because they like it's so stressful sometimes to maintain that type of life. So I think that's a possibility because A, it was an easy hike. He was well versed in the area. And let's assume that water bottle was his. Like the guy said, it was he was on the last leg of the journey and it was an easy part. Yeah. So that to me says, you know, if you and I did a quick one-day trail but we decided to camp it, I I can't see very much of things going wrong because we're not in a rush, we're not we're not strained. You know, we're going to be thinking a lot more clearly than we would on say like when I do a 60-miler yeah. in 4 days in Glacier where you, like I barely remember some of those days because <laughs> it's so strenuous. Yeah. Um that's where it makes me think there might be something else going on. However, I think the more likely scenario is that he was hiking and yes, he's well-versed. Maybe he left the tent to go get water or something. And then a blizzard hits he's in whiteout and he can't find his way back to where he was supposed to go. So maybe he set up a base camp and was going to day hike, you know, away from base camp somewhere to do some sightseeing, whatever this is, he's doing this for enjoyable reasons. So he, maybe he wants to see something yeah, and then gets, get, gets cut off in a blizzard from his gear. And then succumbs to the elements. I think that is the most likely scenario.
1: Yeah, I uh, I tend to agree with you. I think I while your your first theory I think is possible. Wanting to, I think it's far fetched. I think it's possible and far fetched. I mean, I guess you can't throw out any theory. I'm I don't think it was animal attack. Um, I think maybe one possible theory is he. You know, he's so well traveled. Experienced at hiking, maybe he was a little too overconfident, and maybe he was up there, and the weather was starting to to go south, and he thought, you know what, I'm three fourths of the way done. I'm just gonna push this, you know, through this extra six, seven hours of the hike. I'll be, you know, I'll get out of this. I'm on the trail. I'll get, you know, back to where I started and be fine. And I think maybe he potentially overestimated uh, or underestimated how bad the weather was going to get. And he got stuck up on one of those, you know, above the tree line areas in a blizzard where it, where there's absolutely no protection or shelter and whiteout condition bad enough where you can't see an inch in front of your face. And maybe he got turned around and fell off something you know, it's, it's very mountainous. It would be very easy to do. Or he mm-hmm. wandered so far off the trail that he succumbed to exposure and then got buried by the storm, which is why searchers couldn't find him. I think, you know, that's a possibility. You know, we don't know for sure that water bottle was even his. I think yeah, the fact that one of the river crossings was washed out, there's maybe a chance that he tried to cross a river that he shouldn't have and got swept away that would explain why we never found anything from him like he had his backpack on all his gear and just got swept away by the river um but yeah i think the two i think obviously the most likely theory is yeah he either um you know fell or was swept away or you know got disorientated and uh lost and then you know succumbed to frostbite expo, you know, hypothermia. Cause in that case about Michael Napinski, you know, he was snowshoeing and he had all winter gear on and he got stuck in a blizzard and he was hanging on to a thread, you know, less than a day later when they found him. Yeah. And he had, you know, the, he, he was prepared for that kind of condition.
0: And I think that's actually a great comparison. Like we have a story of a guy who was in a similar situation that
1: survived that can tell us about what happened, what it was like versus yeah. just guessing at it. And he was another local, you know, he had, he had done this a lot before, you know, looking at the pictures of him, he he was fit and healthy. Um, and he just, he barely made it. And, you know, he had a lot of serious health conditions that almost took his life even after he was rescued and that was less than 24 hours stuck in that weather. So, we're talking, you know, Sam, you know, the search wasn't even started for 2 days if that the same kind of thing happened to him. I we were talking in that other episode Michael Napinski would have never made it another day. Yeah. Um No, I agree. Yeah, so yeah, unfortunately, I think uh the biggest theory yeah, is exposure and I, you know, I have I'm I'm hoping for the family's sake that when you know things start thawing out and melting in the spring that you know someone will find his remains so that they they can get some uh some closure on this one but as we know a lot of these a lot of these cases never kind of get resolved that's that's all I had Joe
0: (laughs) yeah no I think I think you're right I think I think it was an unfortunate exposure incident and I hope that they do find him in the spring so that his family can get closure. I think that's the hardest part for all of these cases is where they'd never find remains or the body. It's, I mean, I can't imagine losing a loved one and not knowing what happened and not having, you know, the remains to, you know, put, put to rest and have that closure. So I would say from us, we, we, we hope they find him and they can get the closure they need. So, uh, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations and Own with your friends and family. So be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we also put these episodes on YouTube so you can subscribe there and listen to the show if you don't have Spotify or any podcast app. And if you would like to support the show, as we always say, please visit our Facebook store and buy some cool swag. I actually have been loving my winter hat. It's really cool. People comment it all the time because... Um, unfortunately, I guess, uh, people don't know what locations unknown is by and large. So it, it like, I think people think it's like a cool clothing brand company. <laughs> so <laughs> I've gotten a lot of good comments on my head. Like, Oh, where'd you get the hat? I'm like, it's actually my podcast. So get the hats. Uh, people love them. And otherwise you can donate to our Patreon. And with that comes exclusive episodes that we've talked about. We'll be recording another one today. We typically release a Patreon only episode right after we release a broader episode so thank you all very much and remember when enjoying the beauty of nature whether backpacking camping or just taking a walk in the woods please remember to leave no trace thanks and we will see you all next time